Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Common Ground podcast. Common Ground is a core class that meets weekly at Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Our teacher, Lee Eric Fesco, is using this series to take a look at some of the parables of Christ. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Uh, here's how I'd like to be in our time today. I'm going to say uh, something to you, and I would like for you to try and tell me if it's at all meaningful to you. For instance, let me start with this one. If I say every good boy does fine, does that mean anything to any, any of you? Every good boy does fine. Let's see how many hands we have. Okay. For those of you who don't know what every good boy, who, what, who wants to tell us what every good boy does fine is? E-G-B-D-F on the piano. It's on the, on the, on the treble clef, okay? So those lines that you see on, the, on a piece of sheet music, if you want to know what the notes are, this is a, a device that you use to learn every good boy does fine, E-G-B-D-F, okay? And the, the other lines, the spaces, F-A-C-E, face. Good, good, okay. What about this one? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Who knows that one? You know this one? Please excuse my dear Aunt Sally. Who, who wants to tell us what this one is? Do you want to tell us what this one is? The order of operation in mathematics. So please, parentheses, solve them. Excuse, exponents, my, multiplication, dear, division. He said this must be a public school thing. I, I hear now that you're not supposed to use, please excuse my dear Aunt Sally anymore. That's being phased out because it's not quite accurate, but that's it. That's It's the order of operations in solving an equation. How about this one? Mallory, Valerie, Emily, Mickles just saved up 99 nickels. No? The planets. Mallory, Valerie, Emily, Mickles just saved up 99. So Mallory, Mercury, Valerie, Venus, Earth, Mars. Just as easy to remember the planet names. And the rest. Actually helpful. All right, one more, one more. How about this one? How about this one? Superman helps everyone. Superman helps everyone. Superman helps everyone. Did I get you guys? No one? Superman helps everyone. These, this is a way to remember the Great Lakes, right? <laughs> the Great Lakes, not only from west to east, but from biggest to, biggest to smallest. Superior, Michigan, Huron, Erie, and Ontario. These are all known as mnemonic devices. Okay, these are mnemonic devices. And a mnemonic device is a tool that helps you remember an idea or a phrase with a pattern of letters, numbers, or or, uh, relatable associations. That's the definition. It's a teaching device uh, designed to help you learn something easily. It's a teaching device that helps you learn something easily. Now, we're beginning a series on the parables of Jesus. And people often look at the parables in, in the same manner. They, they, they might use a mnemonic device, okay? They look at the parables as, as a simple tool or illustration to learn something easily. Now, to affirm that, if you just enter that into the Google search box, what is a parable? This is what you'll get from Google. A simple story used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson as told by Jesus in the Gospels. That's how Google says it. So not only does Google define a parable as a simple story, but they specifically attribute these simple stories to Jesus himself. Well, Google is wrong, okay? (laughs) Because parables aren't just simple stories. Uh, As I mentioned to you this in an email I sent to the class yesterday, the parables were stories that Jesus told to both reveal a truth and conceal that very same truth at the same time, to reveal and conceal a single truth at the same time. A story that simultaneously reveals and conceals is anything but simple. 
I'd say. So for example, parents, you might be familiar with this practice, uh, or if you're not a parent, you, you might be familiar with this practice because it was used on you as a child. I'm speaking of the practice of talking in code around your children, right? <laughs> it was only a few years ago that Tracy and I were having regular conversations about me purchasing a pair of boots. Now me purchasing footwear is not an uncommon practice in our household. And we were discussing the color of the boots that, that we wanted to get. Did we want me to get the darker pair of boots or the lighter? pair of boots. And we talked about these boots all the time around the children so we could speak openly about the benefits of the dark colored boots over the light colored boots and vice versa. And you know, the kids couldn't care less. All right. They totally turned off because we don't care if dad buys another pair of shoes. Don't care about what color pair of shoes I buy. Okay. Little did they know we weren't really talking about boots. Okay. We were talking about a puppy. Okay. <laughs> we just substituted the word boots for puppy. Okay, should we get the dark colored puppy or the light colored puppy? We got the dark one, okay? Parables, at least the parables that Jesus told, were similar. Jesus would tell parables as a manner of talking in code, okay? So that people who would listen to Jesus would either understand what he was saying or be confused by what he was saying, okay? And so immediately, if that's the case, it begs the question, why would Jesus say anything that would deliberately confuse anybody? Why would Jesus say anything that would deliberately confuse anybody? Wouldn't Jesus speak in terms that everybody could understand universally? Why, why would he do that? Okay, this is what we're going to talk about over the next several weeks, and we're going to try and understand the deeper meaning behind some of the, the parables that, that Jesus taught. And here's what I love about studying the parables. The first time you read through a parable, you might not catch the deeper meaning. Your first pass through, you might not catch it. You might read the parable and think that you're, you're talking about boots, when in reality he's talking about a puppy. That could happen. It doesn't. I'm just playing off the metaphor here. So how do you know the difference? How do you know the difference? When you read a parable, how do you know you're not misunderstanding the parable and not just hearing the code, the mysterious code that Jesus might have been uh, talking in for lack of a better expression? The reason that you and I are able to read these and understand that we're talking about the, the real meaning or the deeper meaning is because you and I have the rest of the gospel. We've heard the rest of the gospel. We have it in our, in our Bibles, okay? We have the rest of the New Testament. We have the rest of the Bible. The parables only make sense in light of the rest of the Bible, okay? Much like we talk about the way that the saints of the Old Testament, how they were saved just like we are. The saints in the Old Testament were saved just like we are. In Hebrews 11, we're told about the faith that was credited to the Old Testament saints, right? They believed in the gospel just like we do. They were saved by the gospel just like, just like we are, only they didn't see the full picture of the gospel like we do, okay? They only saw a partially obscured picture of the gospel, but they saw enough and they believed. It was credited to them as righteousness, we're told in, in Hebrews 11. Parables are similar. Parable, parables are similar. The, to, to the original audience, in particular the, the, uh, the disciples, they only saw a partial picture of the meaning behind the parables, so Jesus, many times after the fact, he'd go up to the disciples and say, this is, what I, this is, what I'm, this is the meaning behind what I was telling you in, in, this, uh, in this parable. Sometimes I like, what were you talking about? And he would just openly tell them. Well, you and I, we, we see how the whole story goes now. We know how the story ends. We see it played out in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. We see the rest of the story as to what Jesus was talking about at the time, and, and then it makes sense to us, okay? Does that make sense? Do you see that? That to the original audience... There are some people that were listening to what Jesus was saying, and, th and they, were, they were perplexed by it, even sometimes the disciples themselves. But now we, we can go back. We get to be amongst those people that understand what Jesus was saying because we see the whole picture. We can read the whole picture and know it and go back and see, oh, that's what Jesus meant here. And so even now, when you read through the parables the first time, if you only did that, you might not catch that deeper meaning 
It's only if you understand the rest of the story and how the rest of the story of the gospel goes, okay? Does that make sense? Any thoughts or questions or comments so far on that much? Good? All right. You guys are doing great. All right. Uh, let me give you an example uh, uh, of this from perhaps an unlikely source. All right. As far as the Bible is concerned, uh, in the New Testament, you won't find any parables outside of the Gospels. Uh, are there any parables outside of the New Testament, though? What do you think? Yes or no? Are there parables outside in the Old Testament? Are there parables in the Old Testament? Yes, there are. They're not as identifiable because, you know, in, in, in the New Testament, we have nice little Bible headings that tell us this is the parable of the sower. This is the parable of the lost coin. In, in the Old Testament, it doesn't quite work out that way. There's a number of examples of, not as many as in the Old Testament, but for instance, Ezekiel used in, uh, would teach in parables. And perhaps my favorite Old Testament parable comes by way of the prophet Nathan. Do you remember who Nathan, who the prophet Nathan was? Do you remember him? Uh, after David had sinned with Bathsheba by taking Uriah's wife and killing him in the process, he was confronted by Nathan. Do you remember this story? Uh, uh, I have to give R.C. Sproul credit here on his lectures on the parables. He goes into a great bit of detail on this, and, and I'll tell you why in a bit. It illustrates the point that we're trying to talk about here. Hearing a story, <coughs> hearing a story, but not hearing the full story at first. All right. Having an understanding of the full meaning of the parable after the fact. Okay. So Nathan told uh, David a parable. He told him about a rich man who had many sheep. And in spite of that fact, he had so many sheep. In spite of that fact, it didn't stop him from taking the one and only sheep this other poor man had. And this poor man loved his sheep. This was one and only sheep. But this rich man with so many sheep went and took the one little sheep that this poor man had. And even though he had uh, as many sheep as he wanted, he wanted this one, uh, uh, in spite of the fact he had so many of his own. But when David heard that story, as Nathan was telling him, what, what was David's reaction? Not in my kingdom. You know, he, this, this will not stand. And he was, he, was, he, was, uh, uh, he was outraged. He said, who is that man? Find that man. I'm going to put an end to this kind of behavior. And uh, uh, this kind of behavior, I don't want to see it in my kingdom. And here's what's interesting about the use of, of the parable in this instance. Even though Nathan used the parable, did David get the point right away? It went right over his head. He missed it. Okay, he didn't get it at first. It wasn't until Nathan got up in his face and told him, David, you are that man. You are that man. And then all of a sudden, David's like, oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> I get it now. I see what you're saying, right? And here's why I make mention of this particular parable. In, in this particular case, Nathan came to David using a parable in judgment. He came using a parable in judgment. He came in a moment of crisis. And this is, this is one of the ways that Jesus used parables as well. Okay? He would use them as a means of proclaiming judgment. Okay? Yeah, yes, it's an illustration. It illustrates a point. In fact, uh, that's the literal meaning of the word parable. The word can literally be translated as something that is thrown alongside of something else. They were illustrations that were thrown alongside a, a bigger point or theme. Okay? The parable that Nathan told was, in effect, thrown alongside his bigger point of judgment on, on King David. Okay? Now, when Nathan revealed to David that, that he was the man that took the sheep from the poor man, David immediately realized the gravity of what he'd done, and he fell to his knees in repentance. It illustrated the point, or moral to the point, that, that he realized his own actions and then fell to his knees. Um, and so this is how Jesus would use parables, too. In the fourth chapter of Mark, this is right after Jesus preached one of his most famous parables about, about the sower. Uh, and then he says this at the end of, of Mark uh, 4.9. I left my control over here. He says this. It's a curious little phrase. He, he, and he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, 
let him know. For those of you that read the Bible uh, for, for a while, and, and in particular the Gospels, how many times have you heard Jesus say something like this? He who has ears to hear, let him hear. It, it, what does that mean? Is it, isn't that a curious thing to say uh, after you've said something? Now imagine you've never heard this phrase before. Imagine you've never heard this phrase and, and uh, you, you take it to work with you. And you're doing a presentation, and after you conclude your presentation, you say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. What would they say to you? Well, they think you're bananas. They think you'd lost your mind. What do you mean? We all have ears. We can all hear. We hear what you're saying. Thanks for, for, uh, uh, for condescending here, speaking condescending. We've all got ears. So when Jesus said that, he who has ears to hear, everyone around him must have thought something similar too. Yeah, we all hear you, Jesus. So why does he say this? Why does he say this? He's talking about people who have an ability to hear, okay, an ability to understand and to embrace the truth, fully embrace the truth of what he's saying. He's not simply talking about audible sounds, right? He's asking those that get the deeper point to embrace it. If you get the deeper point here, I want you to embrace it. I want you to live it. I want you to own it, okay? So, so what Jesus is saying when he uses the phrase is that he understands that there were people there hearing his teaching, but who didn't hear it, Okay? They didn't embrace it. They didn't get it. So they didn't absorb it. They didn't, didn't pierce their hearts. So, so Jesus makes a distinction between those who hear and those who don't hear. And he tells us exactly what he's talking about when he said that in the, in the verses that follow in Mark chapter 4. This is just after he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is Mark 4, 10 to 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Okay, so he's talking about the secret nature of the parables here. But for those outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, and notice here that there's quotes up here. Okay, so that Jesus is saying, so that quote, they may indeed see, but not perceive, and many indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. That's in quotes. In some of your Bibles, you'll see that it's not in quotes, but actually indented. And usually when there's scripture indented in your Bibles, do you know what that is usually significant of or signifying? Referencing other It's referencing something else, but specifically, sometimes, poetry, okay? And in this instance, Jesus is quoting something from somewhere, okay? What's he quoting? You know what he's quoting from here? You know where this is from? Anyone recognize it? Isaiah. Yes, it's from Isaiah, the sixth chapter of Isaiah, perhaps one of my all-time favorite chapters in the Bible, Isaiah chapter six, if you don't know it. Oh, you got to get into it because it's, this is a very familiar where, where um, uh, Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up on his heavenly throne and the, the, the angels and the cherubim fly all around and they proclaim, holy, holy, holy. And, and remember what Isaiah did? How did Isaiah respond when he was in the presence of the Lord and he sees everyone proclaiming, or the angels proclaiming, holy, holy. What was Isaiah's response? He was ruined, he says. He was ruined. He, 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 he crumbled. You know, wretch that I am. He basically says, no, get away. I'm ruined. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. And Isaiah, Isaiah, who was a prophet, right? And you know what a prophet does? A prophet is a mouthpiece of God. You know, speaks the very, thus saith the Lord. Okay, so if there's anything that Isaiah could have been proud about, taken pride in, it would have been his mouth. Okay, because, hey, this is a mouthpiece that is used to proclaim the word of God. Thus saith the Lord. And so if there's anything he could have taken pride in, it would have been his mouth. But what did he say about his mouth in this chapter? Do you know? My mouth is like a sewer, is what he's basically saying. In the presence of God, my mouth is filthy. It's, I, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. Garbage is what he's saying, okay? And what did God do? Did he leave Isaiah suffering? No, he took a coal, and he put it to Isaiah's mouth to purify it, to purify his mouth. 
and prepare him for something. This is from Isaiah 6, 8 and following. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. And he said, go and say to this people. And this now is what Jesus is quoting earlier in Mark. Keep on hearing. This is what he's telling the people now. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull. This is what he's telling Isaiah to tell the people here. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their thoughts and turn and be healed. Then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses with people and the land is laid desolate. Uh, desolate was laid a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the Lord. Now to me, when I first understood what was being said here, this was crazy to me. This didn't seem right. This, seemed, this didn't seem like the Lord to me. Okay. You see what's happening here? Yeah, Isaiah, he's saying, Isaiah saying, here I am, Lord, send me. Do you see what the Lord's response was? He's saying, okay, thank you. He, he didn't say, okay, that's wonderful news. Thank you, Isaiah. Thank you for raising that hand, okay? This is not what he's telling him. It's quite the opposite. After Isaiah says, here I am, send me, he tells him, great, here's what's in store for you. Isaiah, no one's going to listen to you. So go out and preach my word. No one's going to listen to you. You're going to be the most unpopular preacher there ever was, okay? This, that's, that's the job that I have for you. What I'm telling you to do here, Isaiah, is, is shut the eyes of the people, stop their ears so that they can't hear, that their hearts may be hardened, lest they repent and be healed, all right? In other words, your mission is to be my instrument of judgment, Isaiah. This is, this is gone past the point of repentance here. All right? It's judgment time. Now, have you ever been in so much trouble with your parents that, that saying sorry doesn't even begin to scratch the surface? Have you ever been in that much? No, just me? Okay, it's just me. We have a device in our home that monitors uh, internet usage. And it's a safeguard we use for the kids. And not only does it traffic or monitor traffic and, and filter out any bad content, it also helps us set time limits for them when they're on their, their devices. Uh, so if they're using the Xbox or any other device after they reach their time limit, it just shuts it down. <laughs> it just shuts down the internet for them. My kids have affectionately called it the cube of death. <laughs> okay. One of the other features that it has is that I can pause internet access for either one of them whenever I want. So right now they're 11 and 13 years old, and they're right at the age where they're really starting to, to feel their Wheaties. You know what I mean? Uh, it's like they're becoming self-aware. Like, hey, I'm smarter than my parents think I am, or they think they are anyway, right? So, so what we're really trying to stay on top of is, is, is how they interact with us and how they, in a sense, sometimes mouth off, all right? And uh, the other day I got home and Tracy was frustrated because it seemed like the kids had been like this all day long, you know? So I logged onto the cube of death and I shut down the internet on them. I just shut it down, okay? And it wasn't too much after I did that, they came over and they said, hey dad, did you turn on the cube of death? And I tell them, oh yes, I did, okay? And I explained to them why they turned it off and so they immediately go over to mom and say, sorry mom, you know, sorry for being a smart aleck. And, uh, and then I explained to them, oh, we're way past sorry now, because this is not the first time we've told you. We're way past sorry. You can't just say sorry and expect me to turn it back on, all right? It's time to feel the sting of your actions, okay? You have to feel the consequences of your actions first. You have to feel the burn from the cube of death. <laughs> That's very dramatic, isn't it? <laughs> this is the point that the Lord had reached with the people of the Old Testament after a repeated pattern of rebellion. It's time for them to feel the sting. 
okay? In Isaiah's case, in Jesus's, uh, where he's quoting from this line from Isaiah, that it, it's judgment, it's judgment time, okay? And a kind, uh, a poetic justice of sorts, because what is going on here is God saying, okay, these people don't wanna hear my word, then I'm gonna give them over to their disdain, okay? I'm, I'm going to give them over to the rebellion. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give them exactly what they're asking for. If they don't wanna hear me, if they don't wanna look at me, that's fine, but I'm gonna shut down their eyes and harden their hearts, and they're gonna feel the sting of their actions now, okay? So the point of all this, the point of all this is, is uh, the reason we belabor this point and show Jesus quoting this difficult passage from, from Isaiah is to show the function of the parable, this is to show the function of the parable, that, that it is not only uh, used to clarify a point for those who have ears to hear, but the parable is used to conceal or obscure the mystery of the kingdom for those who don't have ears to hear. Though he's giving over to themselves in, in, in his judgment, okay? It's a picture in motion of God's judgment in action. Okay, real quick, let's, let's illustrate this point. And uh, does any, any questions on that much so far? Because I know that's kind of difficult because none of us like to think of God as someone who says, I'm going to shut their eyes. I'm going to shut their ears because you know what I'm doing? I'm just giving them over to what they, I'm giving them over to their greatest desire right now. And their greatest desire is not me. So boom. And now my, my, my words of truth, my words of life are going to become a very stick of judgment that I'm going to whack them with. Yeah. Luke. I, you know, I just always like to, to look at with that, like how his means, his ways of doing that, like. The way he hardens people's hearts is to openly tell them his truth, <laughs> and they reject it. And then what he does with that is all the Babylonian captivity, all the consequences that come from that, actually becomes the way his people are brought back to them. That's right. And like it, it, it's it it's not how it, it's usually attacked like in a kind of a straw man <laughs> fashion of this cruel distant right. god, and it's like his truth and his openness is what what hardens our hearts. And the consequences are what he uses to draw us back. That's right. Like it's a, it's a very even when I when I turn the, the the cube of death onto my children, right? Is the purpose just for me to let them suffer for a while? Maybe a little bit. No, but is that the <laughs> is that the ultimate? What's the ultimate goal here? Open their eyes to it's restoration. Them. It's restoration so that they stop talking and acting a fool in front of their mom and dad, right? That's what that's my ultimate objective for them. It's not just to make them feel the sting. But when it's time to let them feel the sting, you, you, you let them over to themselves, you let them engage in their behavior, and then they suffer the consequences of it in order, yeah, to bring them back. Yeah, Todd. Yeah, um, is this the same? You see this also with Pharaoh? Uh, Pharaoh? Uh -huh. uh, yes, okay. With Pharaoh, the Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's an interesting case, but again, uh, if, you, if you read through that whole account of how uh, Moses and Pharaoh acted, you know, Moses through, through the Lord, uh, initially, it, does it say Pharaoh hardened his heart or God hardened Pharaoh's heart? You know? Initially, it's Pharaoh hardened his heart, his own heart. Okay? And then eventually, it gets to the point where Pharaoh is, or where God is saying, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. So what's, what's that indicative of? It's indicative that God is just allowing Pharaoh to be Pharaoh. He's giving Pharaoh over to himself and to his own desires. So it's not that God has to go out of his way to make Pharaoh be a merciless, ruthless dictator. He's just letting Pharaoh do what comes natural to Pharaoh. And that's his means of judgment on him too, just to let him go, okay?
Anyone else? Yes. Did you have something, uh, Lucy? I was thinking of Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel. Same thing. Mm-hmm. How he utters those words and as soon as he does. Do you think he's conscious? I think he is conscious of his animalistic uh, lifestyle. And then Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, full, I, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn here, but I think I believe we'll see Nebuchadnezzar in, in heaven. I really think so, because by the end of the, if you get to the end of Daniel, he turns into a cow. He thinks of himself as a, but eventually that's what wakes him up. And, and I, I think that's, that's what happens. That was ultimately his fate. So, yeah. Anyone else? Okay. Let's illustrate this. Let's look at this real quick. Let's see how one of these parables could be an instrument of clarity and an instrument of concealment here at the same time and how we as disciples... We as disciples of Christ can understand both sides of it, okay? Uh, where others might not be able to. Let's look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. This is Luke 10, 30 and following, okay? This is Luke 10, 30 and following. And again, uh, maybe, maybe we're gonna have uh, time to do, not today, uh, about 14 to 15 different parables over the course of the summer. And maybe this is one we'll go a little bit deeper. I'm just gonna kind of skim the surface of this one to illustrate the point. Maybe we can go back because there's all kinds of good stuff in here that, uh, but I wanted to show you the main point that we're talking about, how it can be used to reveal and can seal at the same time. Okay, so this is Luke 10, 30 and following. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then set on him his own animal, set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Uh, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave him uh, to the innkeeper, saying, "Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you uh, when I come back." Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, "The one who showed him mercy." And Jesus said to him, "You go." and do likewise. Okay, so there's, there's the parable. And if anyone were to read that parable, be a, a Christian or, or not, what is the understanding that someone might take away from that? What's the moral of the story? It's probably, probably something along the lines of love your neighbor as yourself. Okay? Now, imagine, imagine the scribes and Pharisees that might have been listening to what Jesus was saying here. Yeah, we get it, Jesus. Love your neighbor. Okay, uh, you see someone who needs help, you go help them. That's great, Jesus, really deep. You're quite the rabbi, okay? And most of the time, anyone who reads this parable would probably come to the same conclusion, all right? Got it, Jesus. Love your neighbor, take care of poor people, sacrificial love, don't think of yourself better than anyone else. We're, we're all the same, I get it, I get it. Thanks for the lesson here, Jesus. Didn't need a parable to understand that, okay? But is there a concealed meaning in here? Is there a concealed meaning in this parable that's not plainly on the surface? Is there a new revelation here that doesn't jump off the page to those who hear it or read it for the first time? Is there a meaning for those who don't have ears to hear, ears to hear and are missing it? All right. What's being said in this parable? It's a parable about a man that didn't think too highly of himself. A man who saw another man as his brother a man who helped out another man that no one else would or could help. He saw a man who was as good as dead, and though he wasn't obliged to help that man, he helped him anyway. What is this parable about? The gospel. Huh? The gospel. It's the gospel. I just told you the story of Christ. 
I just told you the message of Christ, okay? Christ didn't think too highly of himself. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. Christ came to help man and did something else no one else could or would do. He saw a man who was as good as dead, or in our case, dead, dead in sin, and though he wasn't obliged to help, he saved anyway. That's the very same story coming out of this parable. Okay? See, most people will read this parable and say to themselves, ah, I'm the Samaritan here. I'm the Samaritan. I should be like the Samaritan. And that's true. You should be. You should be. But those who have ears to hear will really understand the deeper meaning. They'll see the story that's, that's not plainly on the surface. They'll see the concealed meaning, which is, no, you're not the Samaritan. You're the helpless man dying on the side of the road. That's who you are. That's who you are. You're the man on the side of the road who needs help, who's dead, who's left for dead. That's you. That's you. Um, and because someone came along and saved you, showed love to you because of that, now, therefore, you should go and do likewise. That's your role now. Because someone did that for you. Because someone came along, a good Samaritan came along and helped you and saved you and restored you to health. Now, go and do likewise. Okay? This, this, you see how this wouldn't have been plainly visible on the surface, especially the first hearers of this? They would have, they would have missed this entirely. They would have missed that entirely. Do you see how maybe you or I could have read this the first time through and not caught that? We would have missed that. We would have missed that and thought, yeah, this is a great lesson. I should just be like, you know, I should just help my neighbor and be a good person. I'm a good Samaritan. I should be a good Samaritan too, right? You'll miss that. You'll miss that unless you see the rest of the story of the gospel, okay? It's not plainly visible on the surface. How it would have been missed by even the disciples, they, they would have missed it too because it wasn't completely revealed to them at, at this point. But you and I, we get to see it. We get to see it. We get to see it and understand it. You know what this means? That when, when Jesus or when Isaiah spoke of, of ye who have ears to hear, let him hear. Or when he was told, when Isaiah was told, go, go stop their eyes up. Go, go block their ears. Do you see what this means? You and I, our ears are open. Our eyes are open. We get to see and understand what Jesus is talking about here. We get to understand the deeper meaning. God is not shutting your eyes. God is not closing up your ears. He's letting you understand the deeper meaning. You are among those that get to see, not the, uh, uh, it's, not, it's not concealed to you, it's revealed to you, okay? Our eyes are open. We see, hear, and believe, and, and thank God for that. Any questions on that? Any questions on that much so far? Anyone? Yes, Margaret. Well, uh, amongst that too, correct me if I'm wrong, but I have a little subtext for that, mm -hmm. that is legalism. Mm -hmm. You know, because the other two <coughs> were not in tune, they were more legalistic mm -hmm. about things. Yeah, I think it's a good observation uh, that, and that, that we see you know, played out here. The, the thing that we have to be careful with parables, you know, so I'm not, I think your point is completely valid, but you, you can't, you, there's usually one central point in the, in the parable that we're trying to, to get, and, uh, and the other details, they're important, but we still need to focus on the one central point. So yes, we can observe that there's, there's instances of legalism here, but we, we don't want to run all fours on this, this metaphor or this, this, this story here. What we want to examine is the main central point here. And the main central point is first, think first and foremost, that Christ came to save. Christ came to save. And that that should affect us to, to, to be like him and then go and do likewise. You know, that's the central meaning and that's the central point. That's the, that was the hidden meaning behind this parable. Okay, someone else? Anyone else? Okay, yes, Luke. Like, like 
the question that prompted that was a super legalist question. Yes. Who mm -hmm. technically counts as my neighbor. Right. And Jesus right. was like, you've missed the point. Yeah. Yes. This mm -hmm. is not about sorting out how to go about your daily business in an appropriate way. This is about being redeemed. Yeah. Yes. And, and, I, and I think you get that like with the, the closing the eyes uh, and concealing from those who don't believe and revealing to those who do. It's, it's not, it takes away the, I'm smart enough or I've been with Jesus long enough to get this parable and focuses it on like, there's nothing to boast in but Christ has right. given you this understanding as a gift. This is not of your own abilities or your own That's right. work. That's right. Chip. How are we to factor in the first two that didn't help uh, the man in the ditch? What does that say? Well, again, you, you don't want to you don't want to pick out too many details and say, oh, what's the meaning behind that one? They're there, so they're they're to be noted. But uh, again, I, I think it does illustrate the point that 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 there were people there that probably had the means and the ability to to save that that didn't. They did their they did their own thing. That's that's not different than you or I. We we do that all the time. But it was Christ and Christ alone. That's the central figure we need to focus on. Christ and Christ alone that came and saw the need. And did it though he wasn't obliged to he saw the need and did something about it and rescued do they represent maybe religion that doesn't say i think so i think i think that's probably not a far stretch you know whether it's a religion or anything anything that we reach for that that uh, is not salvific you know there's everything that we we chase after that is not christ or not god himself is you could reference as one of those things it's not saving it's anything else is not saving and i think you could make that connection you good Anyone else? Yes, Sean. But the deeper meaning doesn't necessarily negate the shallower meaning, too. Right. Of, mm -hmm. you know, even though Samaritans are their hated enemies, mm -hmm. that person helped them, everyone's mm -hmm. your neighbor. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just want to make sure. Yeah, that the, it's not to say you ignore all the details. You know, you still want to pick up on them. But again, those even those smaller details should still funnel, funnel you to the larger detail itself, to the main point itself. So those... Are supporting characters, if you will. But the point, everyone's your neighbor is still valid. Oh, of course, yeah. But again, why is everyone your neighbor, though? Because that's what Christ did in you. So that's see how you get there. Christ did this for you, therefore, you love your neighbor. Whereas someone who read this parable for the first time would have not gotten there from Christ in you, therefore go to your neighbor. They would have just landed on, be good to your neighbor and try really hard and do things that are good and, and maybe you'll earn the, the, uh, the admiration and love of God the Father. See how, see how it's different? It's if you just take that one meaning, which is still true, it's still true, but if you don't get there through Christ, it, it's just more, more stuff you're trying to juggle to please you know, an almighty God. And so this is what I hope to do with every one of these parables that we're going to look at, is that not only, you know, yes, we'll see what's on the surface, and I promise you they're, they're there in all of them. You're going to say, well, that's what I thought the, the parable meeting was the whole time. Go through Christ first. What is it saying about Christ first? And then how does that apply to the meaning of the, the rest of the parable? And so I hope to do that with every one of these parables that we'll look at. And, and one final closing thought is that before Jesus began uh, his parables, he would always say something on the lines of the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. So, so what he's doing in these parables is revealing a piece of, of his kingdom each time. Okay, if this is what you think uh, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is actually this. Okay, uh, he made you. He made you in his image. Though you sinned, though you acted contrary to his, his nature, he provided a means to save you. So though you were weak, though you were dead in sin, he reached down and, and took you in and restored you so that, so that you might be declared righteous before him. Okay, and this is what every 
parable will tell us. Ultimately, this is what every parable will go back to and tell us. It will tell us of Christ's saving love revealed to us, once concealed, now revealed to us. Any final comments or questions before we are dismissed? That's all I got for today, and I hope that's a good primer for you to come back in the following weeks. Thank you all so much for listening, and we hope you tune in next week. If you have any questions, please feel free to leave a comment for us. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and subscribe. Have a great week.